Oh, when my cue comes, call me and I will answer. Oh, my next is most fair Pyramus. Hi-ho. Peter Quince. Flute the bellows mender, snout, the tinker. Starveling? God's my life. Stolen Henson left me asleep. I've had a most rare vision. I've had a dream past the wit of man to say what dream it was. A man is but an ass if he go about to expound this dream. Methought I was... There is no man can tell what. Methought I was... Methought I had... But man is but a patched fool if he will offer to say what methought I had. <laughs> the eye of man hath not heard, the ear of man hath not seen. Man's hand is not able to taste, his tongue to conceive, nor his heart to report what my dream was. <laughs> I will get Peter Quince to write a ballad of this dream. It shall be called uh, Bottom's Dream, because it hath no bottom. And I will sing it in the latter end of a play, before the duke, peradventure, to make it the more gracious, I shall sing it at her death. The theater, the theater. Theater, theater. How y'all feeling? Man, I'm feeling good. I got a lot done this week. That's good. It was, it was a rough week, but like I did like DMV, like mm. post office, mm-hmm. grocery store shopping. Like, <laughs> all the is worst. Is the DMV open? DMV is open like a motherfucker. Yeah, these are all the worst things to do during COVID, yeah. I feel like. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I will say, yeah. I, will give, I will give props to the DMV in Hollywood on coal. Okay. They had their shit put together. Like I Shout got there, I got there. Sponsored by. I know, right? <laughs> I got there at seven forty-five a.m. and I walked out at nine oh three a.m. Wow! Oh. So in at like an hour and fifteen minutes, and I got a real ID and had to go through all that rigmarole. Um, yeah. So you're batting a thousand. For a, yeah. For a couple of for a couple of years in a row, my birthday present was to get a new uh, driver's license because my driver's license expired on my birthday. Um, and people uh, immediately go, oh, God, that sucks, man. But it was actually kind of great because I got to sit in line for, you know, anywhere between an hour and six hours just reading a book. And I don't uh, – that's a pretty good birthday. So. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's absolutely. always nice. I had a birthday once where I just asked for – I said, all I want – I think it was my 15th birthday or 14th birthday. I said, all I want – it was 14th. All I want in the world is the house to myself for a day, a – huge loaf of bread a tub of country crock butter a massive jug of water 
and I want to be able to rent as many movies as I want from Blockbuster. And my parents were like, okay. And I got it for my, my 14th birthday, and it was the best that, of my life, and I will never have it. Bread and butter birthday. is one of my favorite snacks. Oh, it must have been so a real good. stinky loaf so of bread. Good. Yeah, it was gross. It was, I, I have to be honest, it was like, you know, like shitty bread. It wasn't good. And then even worse is that it's like country crock bread. I so know. It's like hydrogenated butter. soybean yeah. oil and yeah. high fructose corn syrup mixed together. <laughs> Fucking A. And I, I got to tell you also, guys, I've, I've been having a good week too, Scott. I, uh, I bought a, um, a new game uh, <gasps> that I don't think anyone else in the world except maybe CJ could play with me. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, not even Tim. And Tim is a uh, is a massive uh, board game head. It's called Any Way You Slice It, and it's a Trivial Pursuit game, uh, but it's only Golden Girls questions. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so for fun, I'm throughout this this episode and miniseries, uh, I'm just going to randomly ask you guys questions from this deck of cards from the Trivial Pursuit. I'm in. Yeah. So right. also... Um, while we're at it, welcome to Theater Theater, the theater <laughs> yeah, podcast for theater yeah. people made by theater nerds from the ALA Theater Thane. I'm Jay Bailey Burcham. I'm CJ Merriman. I'm Scott Leggett. And we're all members of the Sacred Fools Theater Company. And each week we get together and we talk about plays and playwrights that we have strong opinions on. And we discuss, debate, and disseminate all over them. And this is a special postseason bonus mini series. That's right. This is our very first mini series covering the works of The Bard. And this time, Shakespeare, for the end of 2020, to end the 2020 year from hell, <laughs> we are beginning with Shakespeare's comedies for Oof. a little lightness. Could you and imagine? Hold on, Scott. I'm shut sorry. Your, I'm so sorry. I'm so, so sorry. Because we have a special it. guest today. We do. All right. He is the professor of voice and speech at the Stella Adler Academy of Acting in Los Angeles. With an MFA in acting from Brown University, a member Ew. of the Sacred Fools Theater Company, a Shakespeare scholar, and last but not least, a dear friend to us all, Tim Kopax, everyone. How are you, Tim? That's, uh, thank you very much. I'm a special yes. guest, and, and uh, my mother says I'm special, uh, yeah. but she also insists that I wear a helmet at all times, so I don't know. Right. The state of uh, California it agrees. It's a nice yeah, helmet. Yeah, yeah. It's got stickers and everything. I love it. <laughs> um, I'm doing. I'm doing I'll pretty well. It. So one of my uh, one of my my duties, and yes, I do mean duties uh, with a D, um, at the Stella Adler uh, Academy, is that I, I'm the producer of student shows there, which is really mm -hmm. cool. Uh, we have a. I don't know when this is going to drop, so to speak, but we have a couple shows coming up next week, which is super exciting, um, and that's fun considering that I signed on to be the producer of these shows before any form of lockdown existed uh, mm -hmm. and then lockdown happened which means that now uh, over the past well six seven months i have learned taught myself and have implemented uh live streamed theater uh now it'll be three times uh and boy howdy is it um my personal hell not because the, 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 yeah. the work is the work is lovely but just i mean if you think about it all of this information is going to outer space yeah and then coming back to me yep. and then my poor little computer like a like an out of shape cigarette smoker running uphill pants the information back to youtube yeah uh, and and then you know other directors are like well why does it look grainy and i'm like well, because the internet yeah, right. 
and yeah, satellites. I'm, I'm dealing with something similar, Tim. I'm currently directing for Shakespeare Youth Fest, and we're, we do uh, a show every six weeks right now and have been through all of the pandemic, which is crazy. And we started on Zoom, and it was just people watching on Zoom, and it was silly, and it was a cluster. And now we're trying to do it. We did it on YouTube, and then we got banned because we had kids cursing because it's Shakespeare. And they were like hitting each other but it was like fake hitting each other so it was like kids doing violence and all this stuff so we got flagged a bunch of times and then now we're doing it on skype and it's really interesting and we're doing really cool things with like where you can put their heads and boxes and you can change the size of their screen and you can put backgrounds behind them even if they don't have the ability to give themselves oh. backgrounds. and it's very cool so that's a whole thing uh you know non-spawned by skype but yeah it's a weird fucking time well, and not just that, and I, this is a conversation I had with several of the directors at Stella, too, is it's like, there are a lot of exciting possibilities to do things. It, it's a medium which sits almost halfway between live theater and pre-recorded television, but it has none of the satisfying things of either and all of the complications <laughs> of both. So right. the, you, you have the idea of like, oh, it'd be cool if it was like, like a background image of a mountain. Yeah. And they're talking about being in the mountains. And then you put it up on screen and you're like, oh, this looks like the PowerPoint that I produced when I was in fourth grade and learning how to do PowerPoint. Right. Um, and there's, it's just it's just bizarre. Yeah, it's rough. And it's um, it, 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 more than anything, I think, killing our spirits as artists. Like, I, I think a lot of us feel I've said many times on the podcast, I just have a lot of negative feelings about Zoom theater. But I also understand that we in this world we're, we're adapting and we're also, especially for educational theater, I feel like that's gotta be the hardest place to be because you're, you're still trying to give them the training of what it will be like once COVID is done, but they're also having to adapt to this weird Zoom theater thing, which is it a trend? Is it a forever thing? Are people gonna do this forever once COVID is done? And people are like, no, I have found my niche, this is it. I'm going to do Zoom theater. Forever. Zoom nobody, theater nobody, is my niche. It's possible. <laughs> I mean, Zoom podcasting has definitely been a thing. Sure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I mean, there's Twitch streamers, right? That's basically That's like true. Zoom podcasting, only it's just a single, you know, 20 year old man playing video games, asking for donations and spouting racist stuff like this. True. You know? <laughs> Pewdie pie um so <laughs> just to mention one um so something that we like to do before we get into our actual like talk on shakespeare is i want a little bit of context from everybody on what your experience with shakespeare is don't go too deep yet because we got three whole mini series on this dude but i want to hear just especially tim like what is it that um you know, drew you to him at first or ever did if you if you ever were drawn. Maybe you all hate Shakespeare. I don't know. But I'm excited to hear your context. Let me know. Let's start with Tim. Tim, go ahead. What what is your context with Shakespeare? You know, I have a lot is the short answer. Uh yeah. the more long winded answer is I've been in, I believe, eight Shakespeare productions at this point. Nice. Um uh, I have what was seen your favorite? Every... What was your favorite you were in? favorite that i've been in well for different reasons um because actually, of the uh, production like the production itself that you were like this is this is the ultimate oh as in as in the show was good not yes. as in i had the yes. best time correct oh um i think that i i was in a i was in a cymbeline one time and that play is so so bizarre in so many ways so and weird. the production that yeah. we did yeah. was just bizarre enough to kind of capture all of that and there was this really magical moment towards the end where um 
there's this just entire scene of like revelations of like, I'm not just a dude. I'm also this guy and I can marry you. And I'm not this, I'm actually your brother and all of this. And we crafted this moment where everybody <laughs> was equally surprised and cheered at, at, at literally every single revelation. Mm. Um, and it was on the, on the one hand, exactly on the nose. And on the other hand, the audience was completely with it the entire time because they were like, yeah, absolutely. And they started cheering as well. And it's this, it, it was really magical in that, in that way. So you've seen them all though, you said. Yes. So, uh, well, not every Shakespeare play, God no. Gotcha. Um, uh, although here's a fun fact. Uh, there is a guy, there is a man, I don't remember his name off the top of my head, but a lighting designer I worked with knows him who has seen and his life's like journey is whenever he sees that Timon of Athens is being produced somewhere. Mm -hmm. He's independently wealthy and just buys a ticket to the show, buys an airplane ticket and flies and just watches Timon of Athens over and over and over and over. Oh, and wow. Over. That's my jam. That's the one I'm into. <laughs> Timon of Athens. That's the one he's into. I mean, That's I get it. I, you know, um, Shakespeare Youth Fest is really, shout out to Shakespeare Youth Fest. I'm there. You're here. Uh, you know, yes. love them forever yes. and ever. Um, and they are massive fans of Timon and they put it on almost every other year it seems like i think the last time they did it was wow. last year but they did they did it like two years before that because they just when they feel like they have the right cast they're like oh we have to do timing and it's like it's super fun like i'm all about it it's a really interesting show to talk about and to watch and to see how people conceptualize and whatnot but that's that's it's hardcore a, he, he wrote like, with thomas middleton fun. too it's not even like purely a shakespeare play he right he split like he was like, all right, these scenes, you can write those other scenes, man. Okay. So, so I've been in eight, I've seen probably another dozen more. Um, my context is that uh, like many people, I was introduced to Shakespeare in high school as kind of a literary figure uh, and looking at it that way. And I was very fond of it. Uh, and then as I moved forward through my theatrical education, I, I learned more and more. And then I hit uh, grad school and they asked specifically that we throw everything out the window uh, that we had known before about Shakespeare and start from square one, kind of the, just the old Buddhist mantra, you can't fill a cup that's already full. Hmm. Uh, and, and we went for it. And I, I really appreciate the way that, how I learned it, which was from a, a non-museum piece perspective, which is that if you put yourself in the shoes of an actor in Shakespeare's time, you knew how to say words and somebody thought that you were interesting enough to say words on stage. And that's about all the context you got for a lot of these plays. And you got your lines and you kind of went out there and you rehearsed a couple of times and you went for it. And so from square one and from day one, the job was to make the language happen in the moment and there and ignore any broader historical context of, oh, well, in Shakespeare's time, this would have meant this and this would have meant that. So we must do it in this way and that way. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and just making the moments happen. And from that perspective, the moment to moment work, uh, moment to moment work in Shakespeare is, is non, it's, it's not paralleled. It's every moment is crafted in a really, really beautiful, wonderful way. Um, despite the fact that some typist fucked it up in some way uh, at some point in time and uh, and his his language shines through and if you let him do so shakespeare will tell you exactly what you need to do 
And as somebody who doesn't like to be in charge, I love it when a playwright tells me exactly what to do. Nice. CJ hates that. <laughs> what? When a, when a playwright tells you exactly what you need. To. No, I... <sighs> <laughs> she has feelings yes, about I hate it. it. She has feelings about it. Um, and CJ, what what what's your history with the shakes? Um, they made us read Romeo and Juliet and Macbeth in high school. I didn't understand it. Then I got to college, and junior yep. year was all um, Shakespeare, and I got into the math of all of it. I love iambic pentameter. I love all of the all of the devices and everything. And then I got really nerdy for it. Um, First show I did out in LA was A Midsummer Night's Dream, like super cut down. It was half of a dance show. I played Lysander. Um, and then I worked up at uh, Will Gear's uh, Theatricum Botanicum up in Topanga. Um, it's actually where I got all my equity points. And that is that is a fun place to do and see Shakespeare. Mm. Um, mm. But no, I I do. I dig Shakespeare. Uh, it's just, we, we discussed it in the finale. Um, I think... There's just a lot of bad Shakespeare out there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've talked about that with Chekhov and with a lot. And you know what? There's bad everything out there. Mm -hmm, Let's mm -hmm. be straight up. Um, mm -hmm. There's bad Sondheim out there, you know, of course. Mm -hmm. So I think anything that has greatness, it, there's going to be shit versions of, right? And it, it, it also kind of goes into that, like, weird, um, the red pill thing, like the Matrix thing, where, like, the matrix is brilliant for what it is and it means one thing, but there's a whole subculture of people that watched it and got a totally different thing out of it. And now are like uh, misogynist, like horrible, you know, red pillists. <laughs> and so it, it's almost like with anything, people can take Shakespeare and warp it and make it shit. They can take it and make it. Um, I've seen productions that I walked out of being like, that was offensive. Like that, what, like, <laughs> what were you even trying to say with that? You know? And as Americans, especially, I think we fuck a lot of that up. Have uh, you Scott. ever, uh, Oh yeah. Oh, oh, so have you ever, have you ever seen Shakespeare per performed or heard Shakespeare performed in what's referred to as OP original pronunciation? Oh yeah. In uh, fact, I'm going to bring one, a production up later. I'm going to trash it to, f I'm going <laughs> to, I can't imagine anything more annoying. One of the worst. It's, it, not only is was it in. Okay, I'll wait till we get there because it's a midsummer. It's <laughs> midsummer, and it was. It's one of the worst productions of anything I've ever seen ever. Oh, and no. I'm gonna rip it to shreds, and I can't wait. Okay. <laughs> um. Anyway, Scott, go ahead. It's so funny. Um, thinking about because it, it ties in. Um. So my first exposure to it was stumbling upon. The Playing Shakespeare series, which was made in the late 70s, early 80s. Hell yeah. On, on, and it was on PBS and like just randomly finding it. And it's like young Ian McKellum and young Patrick right, Stewart. Right. Oh, and, I love and, it. and they're just breaking shit down and just talking through it. And I was just amazed by it. And, um, oh, fuck, what's his name, Tim? The guy, uh, the, the old, the, the big RSC guy, he recently passed away who was like the guy on the language stuff. And he's the one oh, that- Oh, you're talking, oh yeah, yeah. John... I was thinking the other, uh, John- um... <sighs> What's his name? John Hamm. <laughs> John Hamm. Um, but he was the one that kind of spearheaded, he was the one that in the 70s had put forth the notion that he felt that African-American dialect was the closest thing to OP that there was. And so he was kind of trying to in dig into it. But I remember there's a part where he takes- the text and there that all the actors are kind of urging him to do it, do it, do 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 OP, and he he starts to do it and it becomes this weird like pirate. Th it sounds like a pirate that's kind of high and like 
you know, who spent too much time like it in, John Barton. John Barton, yes. thank you. John yes, Barton. John Barton. And so he kind of, you know, he did that thing. Anyway, so that was kind of my first thing seeing. And then I saw, like, I remember seeing, like, a production of Comedy of Errors and kind of like, this is when I was a kid. But then when I saw Branagh's Henry V mm. in the theater, like, with a buddy of mine, and we were both just putting our toes into the theater world and watching it and understanding it like mm -hmm. getting it like oh oh this isn't a foreign language it's just how well it's done mm -hmm. since then i you know i haven't done a lot of full productions but i've seen a you know quite a few and it was great you know this is our last series of the of the season and we've done a lot we've done a lot of reading of plays yeah yes. so i was kind of like ah oh, man am i ready for this and it was like kind of like a warm blanket like just like falling back into i had a wonderful shakespeare uh lit teacher in college and so it wasn't Ooh, drama cool. it wasn't theater it was this is literature and he was just he was an awful actor but he would do all of it like he just loved it so much and that like and just getting the structure and how things work and that you know if you're doing the comedies you're going to see multiple couples and and this is how the five act structure is almost always going to work you know mm. except for when it doesn't and, <laughs> and you know like winter's tale you know where it's like it kind of stuff goes out the window in that right so it was just great to sort of return to to, to that and you know i i don't dislike any of these plays that we're deep diving into but it was interesting going back through some of them the ones i was more familiar with and not well Rippy, you know who else is in playing shakespeare uh who ben kingsley oh ben Ooh. kingsley yes yes yeah. and oh, also yeah. the guy imagine does... imagine you imagine you friends in podcast verse out there taking <laughs> a shakespeare course with with ben kingsley ian mckellen and patrick stewart when none of them were famous. None of them were famous. Mm, and the guy, famous. the guy who does the voice, uh, the, he does the voice of the ring in the Lord of the Rings movies, but he's got, you know, oh, he's, right. he, yeah. he does, a, he's been in a billion things. Which is only really in the extended, like, you yeah, know, exactly. yeah. But right. He, he's the just, mouth. he's got the, he's got a voice made to do Shakespeare. It's, it's rough and it's raw, but it's sexy too. It's great. Find it on the internet and steal it. It's great. Yeah, it's great. Bales, what about you? Tell us yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, when I was in sixth grade, we did a Shakespeare festival every year, uh, the sixth graders did, and I got cast as the to be or not to be speech uh, for mm. the festival. And uh -huh. so. Uh, That's I Hamlet, you know. It's not. It's actually <laughs> from. Um, <laughs> It's from Lethal Weapon 3. Yes. Uh, actually, I remember now. Still. The yeah. Chris Rock one. What? <laughs> is that the one with Chris Rock? I thought that was four. Anyway. Um, you, might be, you, you may be right. The Joe Pesci right. one is, I don't know. Anyway, so, it, whatever. So, uh, we'll talk about that franchise on another miniseries. Um, no, but I, so, you know, I learned the whole thing and then have always known it ever since. So it's now forever stuck in my brain. It didn't mean that I like loved Hamlet. I was just like, I know that speech now. Um, I read it in school. I was in uh, the most amazing production of Richard III that I could have ever experienced uh, ah, at Hogwarts. Um, nice. It was post-apocalyptic. We put literally two tons of sand on the stage. Teddy Trice, Whoa. who we had an artist spotlight, was in it. And we I was Lord Hastings. And it was one of the most epic productions I've ever been a part of. But the sand in my 
ears and and other crevices and clothes for months after I don't know was worth it, but you know, art. Um, so that was incredible. And then when I was at the next school I went to after Hogwarts, I went and got another degree. And while I was there, they didn't offer any Shakespeare classes in the theater department. Not wow. a single one. So I was like, wow, this is fucked up. And uh, I hated this school. It was complete trash. If anybody knows where I went, you just know that it's complete trash. Um, and so I, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, talk, I'll talk shit on it all day because I didn't. I only learned what how not to do theater there. Ooh. I bet Sometimes that's Dame. the most valuable lesson in the world. It's Notre Dame. It's Notre Dame it's fighting. Notre Dame. It's Notre Dame. No, no, it's not. Um, and then, mm -hmm. you know, I work for Shakespeare Youth Fest, um, and I direct for them every year. I've done uh, uh, six shows with them, full uncut Shakespeare shows with them with kids, kids age 6 to 16. Actually, we extended it to 18 a couple years ago. And um, I also got to go to uh, Kenya with the so Obama Foundation. So fucking jealous. That's foundation, amazing. And I directed Hamlet uh, with a crew, um, and it was fucking phenomenal. So that's my sort of background with him. But he's not somebody that I, like, tend to pull up and read. It's not something I, I, I would even necessarily call myself, like, a scholar on. I know, I know very little, and I don't know that I could even tell you most of the plots of the things that I've directed. I know the basic <laughs> ideas, um, but I'll be honest that the kids in, at the Youth Fest, they school me uh, mm -hmm. every single day. I'll say like, oh yeah, the Duke of, and they'll be like, no, he's not a Duke. You're an idiot. Let me tell you. Okay, so Gloucester is, and I'll be like, oh my God. <laughs> so they're all I, smarter than I am, and so I just kind of help them with the theater side more than the uh -huh. text side. They understand the text better than I ever will, uh, which is incredible. I think, it, do you think, uh, not to interrupt you, but to, do you think that that's just because the, the, the bullshit filters are gone? Like they can just see it. Like, like maybe they need to look up words and shit every now and then. Sure. Like specific vocabulary. But do you think it's just because they, they get it? Is that the universality of Shakespeare or just yeah. better than us? It's also <laughs> pick up languages better when they're younger. It's true. I mean, sure. I and I, I mean, a, a big part of it too is that they conceptualize the shows, right? So we come to them in the first few weeks. We don't even give them text. We just, we tell them the story of the show and then we talk to them about. Uh, like scene for scene, and we tell them all the characters, and then we talk to them about what that means to them, and then they decide how they want to set it. So in 2016, uh, excuse me, 2017, um, we did Lear, and the hmm. kid playing Lear was just very confident in the idea that he was Weinstein. He was like, this is Weinstein. Like, we are going with this, and we were like, whoa, yeah. are you sure? And he was like, yeah. So we ran with it, and it was an interesting production. I'll, uh, I'll, it, it was, I mean, you know what I mean? Because the, the best part about it is that it, it's not like we were like literally saying that to the audience. It was just how they had it in their minds to tell the story, and it works. Yeah. It really works for that sort of thread for them. But I don't know that if you asked an audience member, like, what was, you know, what were we doing that they would actually have been able to tell you? You know, it was just that they were all in like yeah. Hollywood red carpet garb at the beginning and then later were, you know, whatnot. So uh, I think we projected Holly, the Hollywood sign at one point. I don't know. It, but it's all very interesting. It's all, you know, it's, 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 it's fun stuff. And they're so much fucking smarter than I'll ever be. And that's my entire point. Mm. Um, 
But let's get into the next part of this. Now, we always like to do a little bit of biography. If anybody knows anything else, we can always throw it in. But Scott, Scottopedia, <laughs> you got any fun facts for us about the bard? I've got, I've got, some, I've got some fun stuff. Can, can I put in a preemptive boo? Sure, yes, please. Anything, anything biographical about our dear friend Uncle Bill Shakespeare. <laughs> well, that's the thing. There's, there's, there's no answer. Nobody knows anything. There's not, he didn't leave a diary. There isn't a lot of documentation about anything, like even the plays and their their written and performance dates, all that's fucking, it's all wide open. And I think that that's one of the reasons that he's in, endured is that we don't know a lot about him. And sometimes not knowing about, like for years, Al Pacino would never do interviews because he's like, I just don't want you to know who I am. I don't want you to know anything about me so that that doesn't read when you see me do stuff. Yeah, and they yeah, made that movie the... uh, where he played Richard III and then made a documentary at the yeah, same yeah. time oh, about yeah. doing it, and it's literally one of the worst things ever. Shakespeare, oh, yeah. Shakespeare is the, the D.B. Cooper of theater. <laughs> yeah, well, put. absolutely. There's a great Thank t- you for being a friend. All right, guys, it's time for one of yes! our incredible Any Way You Slice It trivia moments. Here we go. Bing, 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 bing. Yes. For 20 points, for how many seasons did the show – Golden Girls run. Go. Seven. Seven. Hey, I heard CJ first with oh, seven. I, well I, heard, I heard me first. Scott so. was right after <laughs> on the Zoom call. I, I heard the CJ first. Okay, so that's 20 points to CJ. Uh, write that down, CJ, and remember that. It's a pie piece for you. Okay, trivial. Okay. Uh, I'll ha- I have more questions for later. Anyway, keep going. All right. Uh, so, uh, uh, William Skippy Shakespeare. Yes. Um, his actual middle name that's documented it's in church records. Skippy. Yeah. Skippy. Um, uh, was Is born... it Skipper? And they just, they shortened it to Skippy? <laughs> I'm no, not falling no, for that, Skippy. Scott. It's just Skippy. I'm not falling um, for it. Was he here's friends the thing... with, with Gilligan? Yep. Uh, the thing is, is that we don't really know. Uh, we think that he was born on the 23rd of April, 1564, because we do know that he was baptized on April 26, 1564. And mm. tradition of the day says that it was about a, a three-day wait uh, after birth before the baptism in case he died. Yeah. <laughs> maybe died. Yeah. Uh, John and Mary Shakespeare, uh, Mary Nee Arden, uh, were his parents. Uh, he was born on uh, in Stratford-upon-Avon, Warwickshire, England. His wife wife was Anne Hathaway and he does not care for that. Anne Hathaway? Yeah. And he does not Winner care for the Winner of the Oscar Lay- for Les Mis? <laughs> he does not care for the Les Mis. That was very clearly written in some of his plays. <laughs> Is that on his tombstone? Yeah, it's on his tombstone. <laughs> I did not care for my wife's performance I did not in the get- film Les Mis. <laughs> That's it. Otherwise he loved her. Loved her to death. He was the one that said he was the one that originally said turn it down a notch. Turn Anne it down Hathaway. a notch, Anne Hathaway. Uh Anne Hathaway was her name. Uh right. he had three- Princess Diaries. <laughs> Sorry? The, the scenery children. is for the scenery is for seeing, not for chewing. Please. Right. <laughs> he had three children: uh, Susanna, Hamnet, and Judith. Um, he wrote at least thirty-seven plays, uh, probably more, one hundred fifty-four sonnets, and many narrative poems. Have you guys ever noticed that Hamnet is really close? Romeo, boom! You should feel bad, and you should be bad and feel bad about saying that. Oh, saying that it sounds like Romeo. Here's the thing. Hamnet, rest in peace, died in 1596. Uh, All right. Guys, I made a joke and triggered somebody. Let's yeah, go. yeah, I am hashtag triggered. Rest in peace, Hamnet. 
Rip Hamden. I'm going to say Rip after everybody's name because everybody in this in this thing is going to be deader than hell. Yeah. Um, but Hamnet died in 1596, and freaking morons are like, oh, well, Shakespeare got depressed and wrote Hamlet because his son Hamnet, a full five and a half years after his son died. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. off my high horse. All right. Cool. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try the bit again. Have you guys ever noticed that Hamnet sounds like Romeo, which is what I said, and you fucking interrupted me, and now the bit is ruined. I quit. I'm quitting the podcast. No. You quit now. Wait, wait. <laughs> Thank Man, you for like being a, really a friend. Track. All right, guys, All right, it's time on, for baby. another. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> let, let me get through this. I want to formally apologize for interrupting your bit. Because it's fine, but it was the best bit that's ever been on the fucking podcast. <laughs> ever. Besides mouths and butts are the same thing. I don't know. Yeah. I really like and the fact And the fact that CJ is a fucking chain-smoking whore. <laughs> Besides that. Right. We've gone off the rails, everybody. Okay, finish your bio. <laughs> <sighs> Uh, his father made gloves. He had seven siblings. Um, his wife was eight years older than he was. Uh, he was 18. She was 26 when they got married. And their first child was born six months after the wedding. Not <gasps> gone. Do, 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 do. He was very wealthy. Uh, Shakespeare was, uh, he owned a lot of property and was uh, a very good businessman. Um, he died on his birthday. Two of Shakespeare's plays have been translated into Klingon, Hamlet oh and Much Ado About Nothing. That's kind of fun. Uh, it's not. I had a, oh, friend, God. a friend of mine went and saw one at a convention and he said it was tedious. Oh, um, <laughs> he introduced 3,000 words to the English language. Um, he had a vocabulary of between 17,000 and 20,000 words. His parents and his children were illiterate. He was a shower pooper. I texted CJ that the other day when I found this out. Completely unsurprising. He, he did a, the waffle stump? He was, a, he, was a, he was a shower pooper. He was not a shower pooper. Uh, his skull <laughs> is gone. He doesn't have a head in his grave anymore. Grave robbers took his skull. Because uh, it has to, to appear legal, it has to legally appear as Yorick's skull in every production of Hamlet. Well, I don't think they have the skull. I don't think they actually have Shakespeare's skull. It's gone. It's missing. That, that doesn't seem right. It doesn't, but it's true. Um, then, of course, a few years ago, uh, scientists found some cannabis uh, in the pipes in William Shakespeare's garden. They also, and this wasn't widely reported, but true. Uh, f found evidence of Peruvian cocaine. Yeah! Wow. And then this is the trippiest thing of all. Uh, there is a rumor, well, speculation that he may have contributed to writing the King James Bible. King James was a huge fan of his. And if you go to F Psalm 46 and you count 46 words from the beginning of Psalm 46, it's the word shake. If you count 46 words... <laughs> End of uh, <laughs> Psalm 46, it's Spear, and Shakespeare was 46 when the King James uh. Bible was written. Yeah. Actually, the earth is flat. So, <laughs> there it is. But uh, he, may have, he may have sincerely contributed to uh, writing some sections of the King James Bible as it was being translated. But uh, so probably ben, ben Johnson and Marlowe and a bunch of others probably contributed too. 
there's an apocryphal story, a very romantic story, that Shakespeare and Miguel de Cervantes de, died on the same day. And Shakespeare being the father of kind of modern, or being a marker of modern English literature and uh, Cervantes being the marker of modern Spanish literature, people find that, um, uh, like I said, romantic, unprovable, but romantic. Right. Quixotic. Um, let's let's get to our first deep dive. Now, this we each chose one, and this was our guest pick. So, Tim, why don't you introduce this one and tell us why you picked it? Well, absolutely. So, I chose Love's Labor's Lost, mm -hmm. uh, which is got three L's in the title. Yeah. Um, <laughs> A pleasant, conceited uh, comedy called Love's Labor's Lost. Bailey, do you like alliteration? I sure do. Lots Bailey, of I knew you did. Uh, I chose Love Letters Lost actually because I was in this show. I had one of the smaller parts in the show, uh, and I'm actually proud of it because it means that I got to watch a lot of it. And a lot of the actors that I worked with were, were really, really wonderful uh, in a lot of different mm. ways. Um, I played Dumaine in this uh, at the theater at Monmouth, which is a regional theater in Maine. Nice. Um, Dumaine is one of the sidekick roles and we refer to him as Dumain because he certainly appears to be dumb at a lot of different points in the play, sure. uh, against all evidence of the contrary. Uh, and uh, one of the things that I really like about Shakespeare, and, and one of the things that keeps me coming back to reading him, is watching uh, how his style develops over the course of his entire career. And there are certain points at, in Love's Labor's Lost where you can look at it and go, oh, I can see where this character is going to appear later in his career, especially if you're familiar with the canon in a way. Um, it's also one of the plays that, uh, I, at least I feel this way, that there's a scene which happens and you go, oh, he had an idea for a scene that's really funny, and then he built an entire play around that scene. Sure. And in this case, um, it's the scene, uh, I can never remember acts and scenes, yeah. and any and, and anytime anybody says they know, they're lying. It's because they pulled it up on their phone. Yeah. Um, sure. <laughs> but there's a scene at the end of, I think maybe act four, I'm not, I, you guys can fact check me on that one. But um, there's a scene where each successive lover so to speak of the four main male lovers come on and uh speak to the audience directly and say uh, i am so fudged right now because i fell in love when i wasn't supposed to uh and they recite uh, either a song or a sonnet whatever however yeah, yeah, it's yeah, directed yeah. to the audience and then as they do so then person A hides in the bushes, then person B comes on and you get to watch person A see person B do it. Then person B hears person C and they hide in a different bush. And so over the course of the scene, there's this entire snowball effect of, uh, <laughs> of people making fun of each other. And then they all jump out of the bush and accuse each other of, being, uh, uh, of having broken their oath. And when played well, it may be the funniest scene in Shakespeare. And I'll go out on a limb and say that. Word. That's legit. Yeah, That's a good, good, uh, good call. Uh, CJ, can you, do you have any uh, sort of description of this play? That's uh, synopsis. Well, I do, Bailey. Synopsis. Yes. The king puts his three best buddies on pussy lockdown for the next three years so they can study a shit ton. CJ, but I put them that on is... lockdown? 
or do they decide to go online? Is that, I'm yes, confused Yes, they by decide. That. But okay, a planned God, visit God. from the Princess of France and her three right-hand ladies messes everything up. Yeah. <laughs> Love letter switching, mask dances, and trickery follow. Yeah. Don't worry, everyone gets married, eventually. <laughs> well, well uh, doesn't the end end differently? Yeah, than, like, it I does. Like they get you married. Think, you think they're all gonna get married, and yeah. then you find out the princess's dad is deader than yes. hell. Right. They get married a year later. Well, yeah, he basically, they ban marriage allegedly, for a year. For allegedly. Yeah. get married a year later they're, they're... listen i'm getting a bit set up so they get married a year later all right oh okay all right. okay <laughs> there's, there's do they have a sitcom now what's happening <laughs> i found uh, uh shakespeare the father of sitcoms uh absolutely i will attest to this if you look at mary wives of comedy yeah mary absolutely. wives of windsor is the first sitcom for sure oh, yeah i can get behind that actually i saw a mary wives of windsor that had a laugh track so that's legit i uh Oh, that'd be cool. It was fun. I, um, you, you know what it, uh, was, what struck me? I, I had a professor at one point talk to me about like just physically looking at a page. Like if you look at like Romeo and Juliet and, and Love, Love's Labor's Lost is another one where it just physically looks nice and tight on the page. And then you get to like Tempest and Winter's Tale and like all of a sudden like he's just pushing like more words per line. Like he's, mm -hmm. he's just trying, like you can see it physically is becomes different on the page. Well, yeah, you can see him abandon the kind of tenets that he forced upon himself in blank verse in the earlier plays. And you can literally over the course of his career, see him invent what we could consider modern drama, modern character drama yeah. with something like, uh, like, uh, comedy of errors at the very beginning and something like the tempest at the very end you know one is almost entirely in verse and the other is split 50 50 if not more prose than verse mm -hmm. yeah oh absolutely this script actually has the longest shakespeare scene the longest single word and the longest speech in all of his plays really yeah it sure the, does and it's all in the same place <laughs> uh yeah it's uh, all in act five um uh, and the longest speech is mid act four but there's a the longest word, which is in Act Five, is let's see if I fuck it up. Honorificabilitudinatadibus. Yes. <laughs> what? Yeah. yeah. I'm gonna try that again. Honorific. Okay. Honorificabilitudinatadibus. <laughs> and Atadibus. Did you scan that? I should. Like, on, I, I, believe I believe it's in prose. Yeah, that's, that's got to be. Because that's way beyond. Honor of well, the capital Well, you, you bring up something which is actually, I find really interesting in Love's Labor's Lost, which is that there's a, uh, a very obvious and a very subtle discussion on the, the very nature of language in Love's Labor's mm. Lost. And he has rhymes in certain places and no rhymes in others. He has character, a, a pedant character, um, as well as a character from Spain who he describes as a, a mint of new phrases. And at this point in time in history, at the very least, the, the English language was largely in flux. Uh, you're transitioning out of Middle English, uh, of which I unfortunately know a lot because I also happen to be a Middle Ages nerd. Um, and moving into modern English. And so in in Love's Labor's Lost, in the very first act, you have him rhyming, rhyming certain words, which are literally Middle English. He says heicht or height, H-I-G-H-T, 
which is it refers to a name, right? I am like my like I height Tim, so to speak, right. and he rhymes it with the word night. Um, and he has a bunch of other ones like uh, wick or white, as we would contemporarily call it, but would, you know, in Middle Ages would have been Vichte. Like he uses specifically old words. But he also it's does certain... this thing that I call anti-rhyme, and it's something that Eminem really got big in the hip hop community, which is where you, it sounds like, which my whole point in telling you this is that I think Shakespeare and Eminem uh, are the same person. Uh, but I, you've never seen him in the same Like room. you and Beckett are the same spirit. That's true. But right. no, no, well, I think, I think Eminem and Shakespeare might actually be the same human being because yeah. I've never seen them on TV together. <laughs> never seen them on TV together. Uh, but he does this thing called what I call anti-rhyme, which is where it's like, and maybe maybe these are just because it's old English or middle-aged pronunciation that I don't, I'm not privy to, right? But but there are times where it'll th you think it's headed towards a rhyme and it doesn't, and you go, ooh. There are some scholars who would say that it has to do with the difference of pronunciation, but there was also something at that point in time called a visual rhyme, um, which is that because not everybody could read and not everybody could write, and, and we have a, a contemporary understanding that those two go hand in hand, at this point in time, it's not the same thing, because uh, basically the only people who could write or people who needed to take notes and people who like everybody needs to read to, to see that it's a butcher, for instance. Um, but people who could read and write would understand that um, the word, I don't know, uh, loose doesn't actually rhyme with the word, um, I, I don't know, uh, grouse. But they look similar enough that you might you you understand like oh there's similar letters at the end and so there's like upper class sure. jokes based around the fact that oh things are spelled the same how wacky is that right sure. right yeah C J what was your experience reading this one um I actually listened to it and then I watched I didn't know Kenneth Branagh did a version of this in two thousand you want to talk about that should we talk about that yeah the movie we, I mean we can. did you watch it I did I just watched it this morning the musical actually. yeah. Okay. It was. <laughs> Should we talk about it? Because <laughs> I have, we. It's yeah. It's a tough one for me. Um, it's one I saw like a long time ago, and um, it's like a romantic Hollywood musical version of Love's Labor's Lost, and it's like 1930-ish. Yeah. Because there's like Irving Berlin music. George Gershwin. Or Gershwin music throughout the whole thing, and it's um. Not only did it not make mo money, but it uh, is isn't good. But it has <laughs> Timothy Spall. Mm -hmm. uh, has Timothy Spall playing the Spaniard, which in we've it. talked a lot about. Yeah, uh, Geraldine McEwen, which is a cool. Uh, and then and then you have like Alicia Silverstone <laughs> and, and Matthew Lillard, Matt Lillard, friend of the pod. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I feel like um, oh, I know Matthew Lillard by the way. No big deal. He uh, oh he oh yeah, I've, I've met, I've hung out with Matthew. Good guy. Good he's guy. guy. He's actually a really great guy. Like truly one of the coolest people on the planet, Matthew Lillard. You'll never listen to the this podcast, but if you ever do. Come have might. a beer with us and Annie Baker. Um, I've had a no, beer with Matthew. We'll get dude. him to do it. We'll get him to do it. We'll do it. Um, <laughs> he He's fine in it. Everyone's fine in it. It's like this weird thing. Nobody sings in parts. Like, nobody can sing. So everyone <laughs> sings in unison. Nathan Lane is good in it. Well, it, Nathan Lane well, is because good Because Nathan in Lane it. can sing. It's interesting. Broadway's darling Nathan Lane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 you can see, because, like, one of the big things about this play and it's funny because I'd seen a production of it a few years earlier that was also set in like the Roaring Twenties kind of vibe to it. Yeah. Um, that mm -hmm. was also awful. Um, but, <laughs> but, 
but it, it it's a series of misses but music is such a huge thing in in the play even in the in the play itself like i sang in my production of it yeah yeah i mean and um but i just think like his whole theory that that you could plug any contemporary actors into Shakespeare and have it, have it work and be great and all that stuff. Like I appreciate it. I appreciate it with much ado. And we'll talk about that when we get to that and, and, and Hamlet and all of his stuff. But this one, it's just every choice he made was fucking a miss. I saw like, a production in Kansas city, which you know, y'all know, I, I talk up Kansas city theater all day, but everywhere where there is theater, there is bad theater. Mm-hmm. I saw a production. I had a friend, uh, who invited us all to go see his production of Love's Labor's Lost. Love's Labor's Lost. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to say the theater it was at. And he was so pumped about it. Like, he was like, guys, this is going to change your fucking minds about, like, <laughs> oh, theater. No. Like, this is a huge oh, thing. No. And we were like, oh, really? No. He was like, yeah, man. Like, come oh, check no. this out. Hype kills. Hype kills. Right. No. That's real. That's real. It's real. And so we show up. And uh, they come on stage. And they are in the most intense elizabethan shakespearean garb that you can possibly imagine like big theatrical like not like for real um dramaturgy work but like just the most blanket version of big shakespearean love version of you know um of this kind of dress and (laughs) converse all-stars okay oh no and their converse all-stars were all different colors oh no and they were allowed to anytime they wanted this was not written in for them anytime they wanted they could throw in a curse word or they could throw in slang wow oh, yeah. our, from our oh. modern time now Fuck yeah. from the beginning we're all kind of like oh this is awkward this is weird but not only could none of them handle the language anyway but then they're trying to throw in all of this extra like what's up man and then move on with what they were saying and you're just like, yeah, I mean, it was truly <laughs> horrendous. I have to, I, and I've said this before on the podcast, I'm not, I, I am somebody who will do this and this is terrible. I walked out. We walked out in intermission. We were like, we're leaving. We're not staying Didn't for Didn't you want to know what happened? No. And when he asked where we were the next day, we said, man, that was shit. And he was like, really? And we were like, yeah. And then we talked about it because that's what we did at Hogwarts. We were straight up with oh, each other. Oh, well, that's good. Okay. But I have to tell you. wow this is not even the worst production i'm going to talk about in this um oh no so it's fine i have an lar area theater shout out on this because this is actually the first time i ever saw love's labor's lost um uh shakespeare santa monica and it's like not man apart is the name of the company right oh yeah 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 yeah. They do like, physical crazy theater outdoor company. venues. Yeah. And um, I saw my one of my old gal pals, it was years ago, Brittany Buffo and my friend Chris Greenwood. They were both in this and they did it at the tennis court at 7th and Wilshire in Santa Monica. Oh, wow. And it was a lot of fun. It was it was a really fun show. They, yeah, it was fast. They had a lot of music in it too, but it was all like kind of fun pop music type yeah. stuff. I've never well, I've never seen a fun, good production of Love Labor's Love Labor's Lost. Uh, it feels I, like a restoration play to me mm, in a weird way. Well, and I wanted to bring up because I want to talk a little bit about gender and stuff. And uh, when we were texting the other night, CJ, you said you thought that this was the least problematic, at least of the four that Yo, we're going to deep this dive. Play is pro- this play is progressive as fuck. 
Yeah. I didn't, compared to his other ones, yeah. I mean, it yeah. was the first play that I read this week that didn't talk about some woman's virginity. Now, I just want to, before before we go into talking about this, I want to, I don't want to give Shakespeare a pass here, but I do want to point out, and I point this out to my students, I tend to give them a little, like a little sprinkling of Shakespeare. I point this out to them. At the time when Shakespeare was writing, there was not a scientific word or description for gravity. So like the reason why pens fell to the ground was not described yet because Isaac Newton had not talked about it yet. So we have to, we don't have to give him a pass, but we have to put it into context in the sense that like, I, I mean, if you don't have an understanding of why things are falling to the ground, can you really be expected to have a particularly nuanced view on gender and race? It doesn't excuse any of the shitty things he does, but it does put into context the fact that like, oh it's yeah, true. like, like they, like yeah. they, they no, don't true. know goddamn anything. For me, it's more like, time. can they yeah. still be done today? Well, yeah, and I think that's As why is. we have to, why, that's why we have to adapt and that's why we have to conceptualize and that's why I, I think most people, in fact, Shakespeare festivals uh, for the most part are, are not beholden to this idea of we can't cut anything. They're like, no, they cut full characters sometimes, yeah. um, mm -hmm. you know, and they're just like, because that's problematic, we're not going to deal with it. And you have to, it, you have to adapt to the modern time because what he was doing was, you know, he, he was basically writing fan fiction in fucking, um, in fucking poetry, right? He was taking stories that kind of already existed in the ether and was making them into sure. story using poetry and, and which is what anybody else is doing now in this world of franchises. And right, right, right. And if you look at if you look at like Julius Caesar or Mark uh, or uh, Antony and Cleopatra, Shakespeare yeah. literally lifts passages out of other pieces of literature and just sticks them into his plays. Like he's not doing anything that we're not familiar with. Yeah, uh, he's just doing it in kind of a new way. Uh, but uh, one thing that one thing that you did say, Bailey, that that kind of got my back up is that one thing that I like I always notice in particularly regional theaters and particularly educational contexts of Shakespeare is that they'll be like oh well what if we put them in the 1940s well right I mean there's also over conceptualization where it just doesn't mean anything and you're kind of just jerking off all over the place but I think at this point, and I, this might be a bold thing to say on a podcast around, you know, for a lot of theater listeners, too, but I think in this day and age, all Shakespeare needs to be adapted or conceptualized somehow. Like, yeah, you I need just, it. If you're going to do it, if you're going to cover something, unless, you need a new idea. <laughs> unless it's for educational purposes, which I totally get, like doing it in, like, you know, for that reason, but. The few I've seen that we're trying to do straight up, even at Shakespeare Fest, that we're trying to do it just like the way it was done or like whatever, I I just never care. And that's me. That's a modern audience Bailey. Like that's just how I am. So I understand that that's an unpopular opinion, but I also agree that I've seen productions where I'm like, this makes no sense how you've done. It. I saw a Much Ado, which we'll talk about, that was set in a Civil War era and it was on a plantation. It made no sense. It made, yeah. absolute, in fact, it made it racist. It made it weird, yeah. like, like, oh, so these are like slave owners that I'm supposed to be like rooting for. It was the weirdest thing I've ever watched. Part of it is that, and one of the reasons that why are we still talking about Shakespeare even though there are these problems with it? And I think it's because it's malleable. It is adaptable. You can fuck with it 
and have it still work and still have the the glory of the language carry itself through no matter what like you know, and 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 you're right that that you can do you could do do it back the way it was done you know and like one of the i read a i was reading a, a feminist um breakdown of shakespeare and one of the things that you can see him struggle with without sort of having the filter that we do and the knowledge that we do is what can I do with a woman character who the greatest thing that a woman could aspire to at that time is marriage. So what do I do with that? And you can see him trying to do things. He tries to do things to address race and go, is this right? He just doesn't get far enough for a modern audience to really, you know, hold on to it. So you have to fuck with it. The thing is, the cool thing is, is that we can. Ain't nobody going to sue you, you know? The, the other thing that I find really interesting about adaptations of Shakespeare is that they look at a lot of the things that are happening in the script, and they don't think about what might have caused the thing in the script in the first place. And one of my favorite exercises of all time, and I'm going to encourage us to do this as a bit, uh, and I'm going to say that, and that's on mic, so now you have to put it in there. This oh, is a what? bit. Okay. Yeah, this is how it works. Just like when you say an election is fraudulent, that makes it true. Um, here's a, here's the thing. There, it's an exercise called the six sentence fable, and I want you all and, and yeah, you can choose any Shakespeare play that you want. We could do Love's Labor's Lost because that happens to be the one that I'm claiming expertise on and the one that we're ostensibly talking about right now. Um, or you could do uh, Hamlet or Romeo and Juliet. Those are your three options. Love, Labor's Lost, Hamlet, or Romeo and Juliet. And do that play in six sentences or less. Mm. And it is one of the most valuable exercises that I have ever done because you realize very quickly it's impossible to encapsulate the entire plot of the play in six sentences. And so the best you can do is to try to set up the scenario which could cause the circumstances of the play to exist. So for instance, Love's Labor's Lost, we have these characters that are swearing off of marriage, swearing off of even speaking to women at all. What is the circumstance that could possibly cause somebody to swear that off. Well, we get a hint later, relatively early on in the play, when the women come on stage for the first time. We have this long scene where the men are masturbating over each other and, and over language in general, um, as we still do, I would like to point out to this day. Yeah, it's locker um, room talk. Exciting. Yeah, it's locker. It's, it's just locker room talk. You got to excuse it. But the ladies come on and Boyette, who's their, who's their sidekick, um, asks, well, do you know about any of those guys? And they all talk about them in these contexts of like, oh, well, I saw them at this party this one time. And there's this kind of implication that all of these women are there in order to be married off to these men. Right. And so then you start to understand that, oh, these men may be swearing off of quote unquote love and marriage and talking to women in general because the society that they live in has been built around the exchange that, oh, well, if I marry this woman, then this section of land will be mine when her father dies. Right. And and so that is a more important point to creating a play than the fact that they sing songs or the fact that it could take place in the 1930s when people are extravagant and all of this. And, and you start and to get... Uh, 
there's a whole other side of this too where historical context really matters right where like things there's jokes about things that we don't get like specifically people right they they meant they these are real people right i'm pretty sure this was a satire on true living humans this king existed. yeah as i was going to bring that up is that this along with the tempest are his two plays that don't have an obvious source but this was very much modeled on on what was happening in the french court and the audience right audiences would have understood that at the time right. and they think that that's probably the biggest reason that this this play got kind of swept under the rug for a long time it's still and swept like, under basically the, the 19th century it just wasn't performed and kind yeah, of because people didn't know what the fuck they were shakes yeah exactly. they didn't they yeah. didn't because they're they're and then there's a whole nother layer where he's going after like henry of navarre uh who had you know, broken his vow to Protestantism and like, sure. it gets all crazy. It gets crazy. Sure. Um, but, um, but, but like, yeah. just to, to, I mean, to bring it back to him is that it's, it's sort of like, you know, we we're so far removed from a lot of it that I, I would argue that like any director who's putting it up is just taking what they feel like uh, speaks to them about it, or even maybe what's missing for them about it, especially with adaptations like RNG or anything like that. They're like, what is missing for me? Or we talked about Desdemona. Yeah. What's, yeah. What's, what's missing, missing for you? Great idea. Yeah. So I'm going to take it and make it that. And those are the great adaptations. Those are the ones that you see. Like I saw um, comedy of errors at Oregon Shakespeare Fest, and it was set in the Harlem Renaissance. And Ooh. it was truly breathtakingly brilliant because I've read comedy of errors. I've seen it. I've uh, been, I assistant directed it at Shakespeare youth fest. So I've, I've worked on it and I've always been sort of like, yeah, it's fun and it's easy and, and mistaken identity. Great. This production blew my mind because it made sense every step of the way because they justified every single second of it. But it's because they took the, what is this missing to make this poignant? What does this missing to make this mean something to us? And it, uh, that's one of those productions that'll like kind of live with me forever. Yeah, yeah. That right. same trip, I saw a Tempest production that uh, they over conceptualized, and it was the um, old, it was Kabuki style mixed with the old Japanese art style where the people paint themselves in all white, and it's uh, no? in response to the NOH? no, it's the it's in response to the um, Hiroshima bombing. It's like the yeah it's, oh. yeah. And, it's a whole it, like it's a whole like modern exactly modern and it was oh. a mixture of the two and it was truly like uh, hard to well, watch because i was I like what is bailey, i don't get this i think bailey what you're getting at is is a really important distinction that i take when i watch not just shakespeare but any kind of great capital g work that gets performed is sure. the difference between historicization and contextualization right because ah, well put well, yeah. yeah, and that uh, oh, like historicization is putting it in the context of like, well, if you were to understand that Henry of Navarre and right. like putting all of your effort into <laughs> making that apparent as opposed to finding something that hits us in right. the same kind of way, right? So if I may, I, ha I wrote a tiny little six sentence fable for Love's Labor's Lost okay. and I feel like it puts it, like it, it makes it real for us, right? So here it goes. Okay. At long last, a pleasant peace has settled over France. An era of light and reason now prevails and it is our duty to study light and reason to prevent further war. But all debts, including the wars, must be paid. And the Bible sets a price for women. Mm. What is your price? 
That's that's cool. That's a I cool exercise. That. That's really yeah. good. And, and 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 like if you set up the play in that way, it hits you in the heart mm-hmm. and it hits you in the gut in such a way that you're like, oh, the choices that these characters are making are are real and make a difference to their reality, even though they're princes and kings. And that's a reality that common people could never even possibly understand. But when you when you put a world around it that makes the events of the play necessary, it, it, yeah. becomes, it becomes visceral in a really tangible way. And there are some playwrights, I think even writing today, that you can't even do this with because there's not sure. the kind of depth and and uh and reality behind the situations i agree i i want to read this that i i was having a conversation sort of text conversation back and forth with um the executive producer of shakespeare youth fest who uh big hero of mine julia weissen she's brilliant um and studied at alabama shakes and uh performed there for years and now runs shakespeare youth fest and 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 carries a lot of load on her back but she and i were kind of back and forthing uh, about this one and she was like the thing you really need to know about this is that middle school and high school girls get this play really well. And I said, that's weird to me. Why? And she says it might read astonishingly sexist, but it's very relatable for them because the sexist stuff is stuff that they are dealing with every day. Mm. And I was Mm. like, Whoa. And she was like, it's their teachers at school. It's their principals. It's their dads of friends. You know, so she was like, this play speaks to them and they always understand it. And I was like, that's so interesting to me. But she has this cool perspective because she's directed it seven times or something with middle school and high school girls. And he's like, the guys don't always really get it. They always feel kind of uncomfortable with it. But the women are always like, I get it. It makes perfect (laughs) sense because it's that point where boys and girls are separating, just naturally kind of separating. Sure. And yeah. so you have the the groups and the, you're staring across at the other group and right you know plus I I mean plus girls are just smarter <laughs> smarter anyway and going sure. to, you know I mean they're developing faster so they're they're more keenly aware of it I think earlier than than dopey dudes were are. yeah I mean Siege, what do you think on that yeah um, CJ yeah. as as a representative of all women all of them what do you think about <laughs> what CJ and Scott or what, what what Bailey and Scott just said well I just think I the thing that I appreciate about this play especially in comparison to some of the other women in his in Shakespeare's other plays is it is very clear that the women are the smart people in this in this whole storyline like i feel like the, the king says we're gonna do this thing we're gonna abstain and as soon as the princess hears it she's like uh-huh and i feel like that's how i've seen it played out uh-huh. um in fact my favorite line from the play is the tongues of mocking wenches are as keen as is the razor's edge invisible uh-huh. My so, my person, if I may jump in, my personal favorite yeah. line is when they first meet, and the king comes out and says, uh, they, he basically says like, "Hey, lady, uh, you're welcome to my kingdom, but you can't actually come in because you know we made this edict and you're not allowed to come in." Um, and he says, "Quote unquote, fair princess, welcome to the court of Navarre." And the princess responds, "Fair, I give you back again, and <laughs> welcome, I have not yet." The roof of this court, i.e. the field that they're standing in, the roof of this court is too high to be yours, and the welcome to the wide fields too base to be mine. The first 
time she speaks to the king of a foreign country, she says, you, sir, are full of shit. This is not <laughs> your court because you do not own the sky. Yeah, and second of all, you can't welcome me to a field because I am a princess and I deserve better. Well, and I mean, if you think about what the men set out to do in the beginning, the women actually successfully end up doing it in the end. Yeah. Like, no, I've got this more important thing that I need to take care of. So I'll see you in a year. Well, and that's one of the that's one of the things that I it's one of the reasons I feel like it gets swept under the rug unjustly so is that that happens and then what interrupts what you would expect to be this really kind of uh da -da 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 kind of understanding of reality is interrupted by the fact that a messenger comes in and goes uh your dad is dead and she breaks down and she will not listen to or hear any reason from anybody else in the room and and she comes up and says, look, you say that you love me now. Wait a year. Test it out. I dare you to do so. And if you still love me after a year, then I'll marry you. And she's challenging his maturity and his understanding of himself and of what he proclaimed to have said before about having his own willpower. Uh, and, and I think it's really majestic in a way to paint uh, a strong female character like this in in 1594. On behalf of women, Shakespeare, thank you. On behalf of all women. It's one of these themes that he deals with this idea of reckoning and rationalizing, and that's what she does. She sets up the reckoning. They set up, the, the women set up the reckoning that the men have to deal with. Yeah. Yeah, and this is absolutely proof that Shakespeare is a master of wordplay. My favorite quote comes from Moth at the end. Okay. They have been at, they've been at a great feast of languages and stolen the scraps. I just I just that line. I have I have a I have a I have a teeny teeny thought. Um, there's a, a scene I can't remember the name of it at one point in time. This is me being a, a pardon my French unintended fucking nerd. Um, yeah, but but all our of us motto know. all of us. <laughs> yeah, our motto comes on and says, sing me a song, boy. And uh, Moat or Moth comes on and, and says a single word. Um, <laughs> it's something like cockatiel or yeah, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then Armado says, ah, wonderfully sung. And only <laughs> recently, in the past like three or four years, they found uh, what is essentially like linguistic archaeological evidence that it was <laughs> like the like the 15th, uh, excuse me, 16th century equivalent of there once was a man from Nantucket who's... Yeah, <laughs> so long you could suck it, right? right. And it's it, uh, it. It makes me. It warms my heart that those jokes were funny in fifteen ninety four, and Dad also jokes. still funny in twenty twenty. Yeah, <laughs> I love well, that. jokes. Yeah, guys. So I guess we should um, thank you for being a friend. Oh, All right, guys. Wow. We have another Golden Girls trivia moment. Here we go. What is the title of the Golden Girls? Golden spinoff. What? The 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 one where they have the hotel. Oh uh, man, no idea. Uh, I can't remember. Love's labor's lost. <laughs> uh, golden towers. Golden Close. years. Golden showers. It's golden showers. I'm pretty sure it's golden showers. Golden R. years. Kelly, R. Kelly had a special feature in it. Uh, I don't know. 
I don't know. The Golden Palace. Palace. The I Golden was so Palace. Close. It's okay. It's okay. Next time. But uh, CJ's still in the lead with 20 points. Yeah. And that brings us to the end of our first episode in our mini series on Shakespeare's comedies. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, yeah. We'll be back next week with another one. We're going to go ahead into our deep dive of is it Midsummer? Midsummer's is next. Can't a wait. Midsummer Night's Cream. That's right. Uh, That's the one. Um, Eric Clapton band. So Get I, on top. our guest I'm will doing... be again, Tim Kopax, because we're yeah. going to be right after this. So we're going to finish recording the next two episodes, but you're not going to hear the next episode for another week. So that sucks mm. for you. But thank you so much to Pam Quinn. We forgot to shout out Pam Quinn and Ryan Thomas Johnson last episode many series in our in our wrap-up episode oh excuse me you're right in our curtain call episode we forgot to shout them out we are so sorry because and they've quite honestly been the best things about this podcast absolutely (laughs) the theme song is incredible and uh pam has written a song for this week as well which we will play at the end um thank you so much to both of them thank you to annie baker for writing our script for us each week follow us on all the things uh y'all got any final thoughts you want to leave on I will say um, that CJ and I will be in a Zoom thing uh, on January 8th. We are uh, reprising uh, uh, our roles from the hit play Watson, The Last Great Tale of the Legendary Sherlock Holmes. Very cool. um, That we're doing. uh, So keep your eye on sacredfools.org. It's going to be a reprise thing. It's going to be multimedia uh, archival footage and uh performances so it's gonna be cool french stewart's in it uh henry dittman's in it uh cj and i are in it um rebecca larson a bunch of wonderful people Lots directed by folks. jamie and tim remind us of the um uh thing that you are working on producing and directing uh at stella adler what is when is what are the times for that can people buy tickets yeah can they see that? so uh, i don't know when this this here podcast this will drop on is... sunday this drops tomorrow Groovy. So then um, this coming week, December 11th, 12th, and 13th at uh, 8 p.m., 7 p.m., and 7 p.m. respectively, there are uh, public performances of Yasmina Reza's God of Carnage as love presented that play. by... Ooh, yes, love that play. We have it's her on fun. our season two list, I believe. Actually. Yeah, I think so. She's, she's an interesting playwright. I have yeah. I have thoughts after having uh, read and now produced one of her plays. And sure. then if you can't make it th- this coming weekend, the 11th, 12th, 13th, it's happening again, the 18th, 19th, 20th at 8 p.m., 7 p.m., and on the 20th, 2 p.m. The tickets are totally free. If you go to stellaadler.la, you should be able to find information about both the production as well as how to donate to the school. Uh, Stella Adler, yeah, Stella Adler really is an amazing place. There are, I can't, I don't even know the number. There are so many students that have come here from literal countries across oceans in order to study acting and have no desire to be in Hollywood. They just want to take what they can from this program and bring it back to their own country to create a theater and a film industry in their homelands. And it's a really magical place. And so if you have the ability, it's the holiday season, open your heart, open your wallet, please donate and you know, come see the show. It's literally free, suggested donation, $10. 
And as we say every single mini series, please support your local theaters if they're doing any type of Zoom, yes. any type of anything like that. We're all hurting right now uh, uh, in the performance world. So, yeah, you know, without us, without performers, without theater artists, producers, and teachers alike, you would not have the entertainment that you have been using through all of this uh, COVID time. So we definitely need your help on all fronts. But thank you so much for listening. As always, mouths and butts are the same thing. <laughs> mouths and butts are the same things. Imagine if the only thing that were there when you turned on Netflix were Michael Bay movies. How sad would you be? I'm sad just thinking about it. Remember me. Boy meets girl meets boy meets girl meets girl meets boy meets girl meets boy meets girl plan in place sets the pace so fast add masks woman loves Smiles for